says, And when <clears throat> then they came to a place which was named Gethsemane, and he, Jesus, said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him and began to be troubled and deeply distressed. And then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch. He went a little farther and he fell on the ground and he prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. This is the prayer of Jesus. Abba, Father, all things are possible to you. Take this cup away from me. I'm glad it didn't stop there. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Hallelujah. And I want to talk to you this morning for a few moments on the mystery of Gethsemane. The mystery of Gethsemane. There was a great event that, take, that took place in this garden of Gethsemane. And I'm glad that Jesus won that victory there in that garden that day. Let's pray this morning. Father, thank you so much for your presence that we have already felt and experienced in this service this morning. I'm asking you today to minister through me today to speak your words to your people this morning. Give me the words you would have me to say, and I, 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 I just pray that you'll open hearts to receive your word this morning in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. In this text, we see, and I'm, I know everyone is familiar with this passage and with this text. You've read it probably many times. But it's one of the most sacred scenes that we have in the entirety of the Word of God. The place where Jesus and His disciples are at in this text is a place called Gethsemane, and it's located just outside Jerusalem on the west side of the Mount of Olives across from a little brook named Kidron, a little valley with a brook named Kidron, the Kidron Valley. And uh, Bible scholars and theologians tell us that when they offered the sacrifices in the temple, that the blood from the temple sacrifices would run down into that brook, that Kidron brook, and it would literally be a crimson red in color. And when Jesus and his disciples this night, probably about midnight, after they had left the upper room where they had, they had partaken of the Passover meal, and Jesus had instituted the Lord's Supper there and told them that he was going to give his life for their redemption and for the redemption of the world. And about midnight, they're on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane and they're crossing over that brook, Kidron Brook. And that night when they crossed over, that stream was more than likely blood red with the blood of the sacrifices from the temple. 
It must have reminded the Lord Jesus that just in a few short hours that his blood would be pouring from his body as he gave himself as the sacrifice for our sins. This was coming down to the very end, the very night before the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they come to Gethsemane. The word Gethsemane means oil press. And it was a place where olives were crushed. No doubt it was an enclosed place. It was a garden as we will see. And there was no doubt an oil press that was there in Gethsemane in a place where they would take olives and they would crush the olives that the oil from those olives might be extracted. And it's fitting that this would be the place that Jesus would come on this night before his crucifixion because Jesus would soon be crushed like an olive in a press and that the oil of salvation would begin to flow from him to a lost and a dying world. And we get the first glimpse here in this narrative of Gethsemane just how much Jesus suffered in order to be our Savior. The suffering that he, was going to, that he was going to endure on the cross actually began here in the Garden of Gethsemane. And so I want us to look at this, at this some aspects of Gethsemane. Uh, this morning in this Bible narrative. First of all, there's the mystery of Gethsemane. It was a place. Gethsemane was a place. And much of what took place here at Gethsemane was enshrouded in mystery and is really beyond our ability to fully understand. It was a place where Jesus had went many times with his disciples. Uh, this wasn't the first time that he had been there. In the other Gospels, in, in John gospel as a matter of fact it says that he often went to this place this garden with his disciples and it had been a place for the Lord to come and find just a, a place of quiet a place of rest a, a place of relaxation a place where he could just get away from the crowds and find a place to be alone but on this particular night this place of rest and prayer will be anything but a place of rest but on this night it will be a place of pain and a place of agony Gethsemane was a garden John tells us that in John 18 that it's referred to as a garden and so it's very fitting that here Jesus would fight this battle he would fight this battle and pray through uh, be the night before he's crucified in a place that is referred to as a garden because it was in a garden that Adam followed Satan and it was in a garden where Adam said God not your will but mine be done and when he did that he ruined the human race but here in another garden several thousand years later Jesus is not saying God my will but in this garden Jesus is saying not my will but thy will be done and he's redeeming the human race the first Adam in a garden exerted his will to bring about ruin and destruction but the last Adam in a garden deserted his will for our redemption and for our deliverance it was in the garden of Eden that the first Adam faced a tree and yielded
yielded to the will of Satan. But in this garden, the last Adam faced a tree called Calvary and yielded himself to the will of God that we can be saved and be redeemed today. Thank God for the victory that was accomplished in Gethsemane. Gethsemane was also a place of prayer. When we look at the mystery of Gethsemane, we see that Jesus comes there and he leaves his disciples, eight of the disciples, of course they're are only 11 left now because Judas has went out to betray the master. And when they get to the entrance of Gethsemane, Jesus tells his disciples to wait there and to watch and to pray with him. And then he takes his inner circle, Peter, James, and John. And they go on farther into the garden of Gethsemane. And he gets in there and it's a place of prayer. He begins to pray. And this is a different prayer when we read this prayer here it's a different prayer than Jesus usually prayed because when we read the gospels and we read of the prayers of Jesus Jesus's prayers were always filled with confidence and with assurance and victory Jesus's prayers uh, brought healing to the sick cleansing to the lepers sight to the blind uh, he caused the lame to walk through through speaking prayers and through his word the dead was raised through prayer. When he stood at the tomb of Lazarus, he just looked up into heaven and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me and I thank you that you hear me always. And his prayers were always full of that assurance and victory and confidence. But when you read this prayer, when Jesus is in prayer in Gethsemane, this prayer is more of a prayer that is filled with agony and with pain. When you read of the prayers of Jesus throughout the Bible, you find that Jesus, uh, his posture in prayer, sometimes he kneeled in prayer. Other times he stood in prayer but uh, and looked up into heaven. But at this particular time in the Garden of Gethsemane on this night, the Bible tells us that Jesus went and fell on his face and prayed. His burden was so heavy and the, 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 the weight of what was getting ready to take place in his life and what he was getting ready to do. The weight and the burden of that was so heavy upon him that he fell, literally fell on his face and began to pour out his soul to God. I don't know if anybody here has ever been there or not, but I'm sure most all of us have where the burden has been so weighty and so heavy upon our life that we just literally fell on our face before the Lord and poured out our soul to him. I know I've been there. Anybody else ever been there? And Jesus knows what that is all about because Jesus was there this night in Gethsemane. There was an agony that was there. I, I refer, and I read someone said this, that Gethsemane, I thought it was good, that Gethsemane was the trauma center in the life of the Lord Jesus. It was a place of trauma in his life because when you read this narrative, you find that uh, Luke says in his gospel that Jesus was in an agony. Mark says here in this passage that he was troubled. He was troubled and deeply distressed. In verse 33 and verse 34, it says that he was troubled and deeply distressed. And Jesus said this, my soul, he said this to his disciples, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. 
stay here and watch. He was exceeding sorrowful. And these words, what they mean is that he was surrounded, literally surrounded by sorrow. The word distress, the words exceeding sorrowful in the Greek or the words, all the Greek words where we get our English word peripheral. You know what peripheral vision is? It's, it's where you can see without actually turning your head. You can see what's around you. You can see through your peripheral vision your surroundings. And what this means was it was that Jesus was literally surrounded this night by sorrow. That Jesus was in a whirlpool of sorrow. He was literally engulfed with sorrow. He was, he was encircled with sorrow and with heaviness. And he was in an agony. And ladies and gentlemen, I think we have all at one time been in this particular place where Jesus was. At times in our life when sorrow and trouble seem to come in waves from all directions. I mean, it's not a time when there's a little problem here and a little problem there. But I mean, right now, everything is coming upon Jesus at once. And we've experienced that in our own life. I thought of the little, you know, I don't know if it's still on there, the Morton Salt Morton Salt box. Used to get Morton Salt, and it had the little girl on there with the umbrella. I'm dating myself now. But the, the caption said, what it say? When it rains, it pours. Amen. When it rains, it pours. Well, I'm going to tell you, uh, there's times in our life that we experience that very thing. That it's not just a little problem here or there, but it's one after another. Anybody ever been in that place where it seemed like just one thing after another, where you were encompassed about with sorrow, with problems, with trouble in your life. Amen? You, are, are, you know what I'm talking about? A time when trouble seems to come in waves. And that's what Jesus was experiencing in Gethsemane. Everything was pressing in on the Lord Jesus Christ all at once that night in Gethsemane. The Bible says in verse 35, and I love this, it said that he went a little farther. I tell you what, that would just preach right there. Because Jesus was always going a little farther. Amen. He had already come a long, long ways. He had already come from glory, from heaven to be born in a manger of the Virgin Mary. He had already went from Bethlehem to Egypt, and from Egypt to Nazareth, and from Nazareth to Galilee, and from Galilee now to Jerusalem to give his life on the cross for our sins. But he's going to go a little farther. He's going to go a little farther. He's not going to stop until he pays that supreme sacrifice and becomes the sin offering for the sin of the world and goes to Calvary. And so Jesus goes a little farther and he goes into the center of that garden, into the enclosed place. He leaves Peter and James and John by themselves. He tells them to stay there and tarry for, and, and watch and pray with him. And Jesus goes into that garden and begins to pray. And in his prayer, notice he prays in verse number 36. He prays this and he says, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto you. Take this cup away from me. 
he prays there in the garden that the cup would be taken away. Now, what is he talking about when he mentions the cup? We, we, we want to focus a little bit on the cup. When he looks into the cup, you remember one time he asked a couple of the disciples. They, they wanted to, one of them sit uh, on his right hand and one of them to sit on his left hand. And Jesus asked them, said, can you drink the cup? that I drink of or going to drink of? Can you be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said, oh, yeah, 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 we can. But the cup, what does the cup refer to? We talk about the cup, and we talk about the cup of suffering. And to drink from a cup, the cup means, um, that phrase means to experience something to the fullest. In the Old Testament writings, when the Bible refers to the cup many times the cup referred to the judgment of God or the wrath of God and so Jesus is looking into his into this particular cup it wasn't a literal cup that he took to drink water from but it was a cup that he was going to have to receive from he was going to experience something to its fullest and so when Jesus looked into this cup in that garden that night he saw the contents of what was in that cup and when he did his righteous soul shrank back from what he saw and what was it that was in that cup that repulsed the Lord Jesus the way that it did what was it that Jesus saw in that cup that 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 caused him to recoil from that that caused him to say father if there's any other way if if it's possible at all take this cup from me and I know some have said well it was the cup of suffering that he was going to take on the cross it was the pain and the agony that he was going to go through at Calvary and yes crucifixion was the 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 absolute most horrible form of death that there was at that time and uh, yes he looks in and he sees that uh, that is part of the cup that he's going to have to drink from but I really don't believe that that was the thing that repulsed the Lord. I believe that when he looked into that cup, that the contents of that cup, he saw the pollution of sin that was in that cup. That all the sin of the ages was in that cup and the Lord Jesus Christ was going to have to drink of that cup and he was going to have to partake and be the sin bearer of all mankind. This was the thing that caused him. When he looked, I mean, he's pure, he's holy, he's righteous, he's God the Son, he's never sinned, he is He is perfect in every way and he looks into the cup and he sees that in that cup is the pollution of all the sin of the world every wicked deed every vile thought every hateful deed was in that cup let me tell you something this morning ladies and gentlemen your sin was in that cup what you were was in that cup my sin was in that cup there was rape in that cup and murder and sodomy and blasphemy and child abuse and all the sins of the world were in that cup and Jesus is going to have to drink from that cup and the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5 21 that he who knew no sin was made to be sin for us that we 
might be made the righteousness of God in him. It wasn't that Jesus committed sin. It wasn't that Jesus ever did anything wrong because he was perfect. He was the spotless, the pure, the holy, the unblemished lamb of almighty God. The Bible said that he was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. There was no guile found in his mouth, amen? And he looks now though into this cup and he looks in, into that cup and there is your sin and your uncleanness and your unrighteousness and my sin and his righteous soul revolted against that. He knew what the horror of sin was and Jesus knew what sin does. Would to God that people today in the church today could get that same revelation and knowledge that Jesus had about the destructiveness and the awfulness and the terribleness of sin. What's quiet this morning in this Presbyterian church? <laughs> but Jesus knew the horror of sin. Jesus knew what sin does to lives. Jesus knew the awfulness and the destructive power of sin and he looks into that cup that he's going to have to drink from. He knew, Jesus knew that sin turned angels into demons and that sin turned men into animals. He knew the heartache and the wreckage and the ruin that sin does to a life, to homes and to families. And millions today, are you with me? Millions today have fallen for the lie that sin is cute and that it's fun and that it's okay. But Jesus knew the truth about sin, and that was that sin ruins and sin wrecks and sin destroys. He saw the pollution of sin and the defilement of sin. And today, sin is being promoted as being fun, and everybody's having a good time. And the, all of the liquor commercials and the beer commercials show everybody just sitting around the campfire and drinking their alcoholic beverages and saying, oh, it doesn't get any better than this. No, it doesn't get any better than that. It gets worse than that. Are you listening to me? The alcohol commercials never show. They show the fun times. They show everybody jolly and jovial, but they never show the other side of sin. They never show the mangled bodies that are being pulled from wrecked automobiles of those that have gotten behind the wheel of a car after they've had too much to drink. They never show the hungry children children at home that don't have enough groceries because dad has been out spending all of the paycheck on liquor and booze and alcohol. Come on somebody, this may not be popular, but I guess I'm going to preach it anyway. I'm up here. Amen. Hallelujah. Uh, the commercials never show the abused wife that has been beaten when a drunken husband comes in. Amen. They never show the illicit adulterous affairs that take place and the marriages that are ruined and wrecked and the homes that 
that are destroyed because of that word sin, because of sin. I'm going to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen, this morning. Sin's not cute. Sin's not fun. There may be some pleasure in sin, but the Bible says that it lasts for a season, and there is a price to pay the wages of sin. The Bible says is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Can I get an amen in this place today? Hallelujah. And Jesus looked into that cup and he saw what sin was. He knew what it was. And he realized that he is going to have to partake of that cup. There was the pollution of sin in that cup, but there was also the punishment of sin in that cup. It wasn't just the pain and the agony of the cross that Jesus was going to have to endure. But that cup represented, now listen to me this morning, that cup represented all of the wrath and the hatred of God against sin. Now God, listen, people get things so messed up. God loves the sinner. We love the sinner. But I'm going to tell you, God hates sin. And what Jesus was seeing when he looked into that cup was that hatred and wrath of God against sin. See, the cup symbolized the full, undiluted wrath of God that was about to be poured out upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, on that cross, as the sin offering and the sin sacrifice for man, would have to suffer the wrath and the judgment of God for your sin and for my sin there on that cross. And God was going to treat his only begotten beloved son as if he had committed the sins of all the people of the world. And the very wrath of God and the judgment of God that was due to you and that was due to me was to be poured out on Jesus Christ as he hung there as the sin offering on the cross that day. God would treat him as everyone, as he had committed, as if he had committed those sins. The Bible says in Romans 5 and, or 8 and 32 that God did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all. In Isaiah 53 and 10, it says that the, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. That word bruise means to crush. So God would bruise him. The Bible says in, in, in Isaiah 53 also that he was stricken. We did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. Let me tell you something this morning, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus had been with the Father from eternity, but he was going to be separated from from God on that cross from his father from the hours of 12 noon till 3 in the afternoon when he died the sun refused to shine there was darkness all over this planet hallelujah hallelujah because it was at that time that God the father turned his back on his son and Jesus had to tread the wine press alone at Calvary and was completely forsaken by God. The Bible says in Habakkuk 1.13, he says of God that you were a 
purer eyes than to behold evil and you cannot look on wickedness see Jesus would suffer on that cross not just the physical pain ladies and gentlemen but he would suffer an eternity of hell on that cross to pay for all the sin of all the people for all time and when he hung on that cross I was there in him you were there in him and he was paying the price on Calvary he was taking the cup of sin the pollution the punishment so that you and I could go free and I got some good news for you today I'll never have to stand before the judgment bar of God and be condemned for my sin because Jesus drank the cup there at Calvary Glory be to God forever. Amen. That's why the Bible says, Romans 8 and 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Why? Because he took the condemnation. He drank the cup. He took the judgment. He drank the bitter dregs of the cup there on that cross. And when he looked into that cup... In Gethsemane, he said, God, Father, Abba, all things are possible to you. But if there be some other way, if there's any other way that mankind can be redeemed, let's go another route. But there was... No other way. And in his divine love, he chose to lay down his life so that you and I could be free. Let me tell you something. There was no other way that mankind could be redeemed and be saved and be freed from sin other than the cross. That was the only way. And it was planned by God from before the foundation of the world, the Bible said. Is Jesus trying to get out of it? Is Jesus saying, well, I don't want to go now? No, 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 it wasn't that. He knew. He even said, no man's going to take my life from me. I willfully will lay it down and I will take it up again. And he's not trying to get out of it. He's just seeking the Lord and consecrating to the will of God and saying, is there another way? But there was silence because there is no other way. And let me say it plainly today. There is only one way today to be saved and make heaven your home. There's not two or three ways. There's not a half a dozen ways. Amen. There's only one way. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no man comes to the Father. Nobody can get to God other than through Jesus Christ. I know that's being debated a lot today. Well, you're a little bit bigoted. Well, I'm going to tell you what. There's only one way. The cross, the blood, faith in Christ is the the only way anybody's going to heaven, it's not through religion. It's not through doing good deeds. Hallelujah. You can only be saved by making Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of your life and being born again by what he did at Calvary's cross. Somebody ought to give him praise today. 
There is no other way. Hallelujah. He prays that prayer and thank God that he resigned his will to God. This is the divine love that he chose to lay down his life so you and I could go free. But now, let me close this out here. This might be my first closing. Amen. But there was a mystery in Gethsemane. We talked about that. There was agony in Gethsemane. But you know what? There was victory in Gethsemane. This is the, man, this is so awesome. Gethsemane, what happened in that garden that night is one of the greatest victories that Jesus ever experienced. There was victory that took place there in that garden that night. And we see the key to the victory, to victory through problems that we may have and through spiritual stress and through whatever we may be facing as Jesus was surrounded by sorrows and he was pressed down, he was burdened down, and he obtained victory that night through prayer and I'm going to tell you there's victory today for you and I if we'll find a place to pray. Come on, somebody. And we'll get along with God and we'll take some time to seek the Lord. This wasn't no little lay me down to sleep prayer. He prayed three times and agonized and sought God until he prayed the thing through and won the victory. And I'm here to tell you this morning, church, there's victory in prayer. If you'll lay hold of the horns of the altar, if you'll get a hold of the Lord and say I will not let you go till you bless me like Jacob of old there is an answer and a victory in prayer no matter what you're going through today Woo! come on amen and Jesus won that victory in the garden but the path to victory and here's where Here's where it gets, where the rubber meets the road, so to speak. The path to victory in prayer is a two-lane highway. There's two avenues here that we see in the life of Jesus that brought victory in Gethsemane that night. The first one was the renunciation of His will his own personal will. He was a human being. He was God in the flesh. He was battling a spiritual battle in that human body. And there was a renunciation of his own personal will and a resignation to God's perfect will. You didn't get that, did you? Huh? See, this is so important. This may not be something from the Bible that really makes us get up and jump and shout. We were shouting about breakthrough a while ago, but if you want breakthrough, I'm getting ready to tell you how to have it because Jesus got a breakthrough in Gethsemane. But he resigned his will and accepted God's will for his life. Isn't that what he did? So the, res the renunciation of your will, he prayed, Father, not what I will. He said, there's nothing impossible to you. 
But it's not what I will, but it's what you will. See, listen, listen. I'm sure we all understand this, but we need to be reminded. The human will. See, I shouldn't have said I was closing. When you get saved, before you get saved and after you get saved, God doesn't interfere with your own personal will. You are a, you're, a, you're a free, we use the term a free moral agent. You have a free will. You can choose to do what you want to do. That's why your will has to be, has to be resigned to the will of God. And the human will, there's something about the human will. The human will is very assertive. And the basis of sin is the assertion of our own will. See, anytime we assert our own will above God's will, we get in trouble. Come on, amen. Is that right? And that's, that's where the basis of sin is. The Bible says in James that we're tempted when we're drawn away of our own lust and enticed. And that's what happens to us. See, we, 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 we step out in our own will and do our own thing. And that's what happened to Satan. Satan fell from heaven when he asserted his own will. He was, he was you know, an anointed cherub. He was an angelic being a righteous angelic being and he was around the throne of God and, and Lucifer was leading in the worship there but he didn't want God's will he wanted his own will and instead of him saying God's will be done Satan Lucifer was saying I want my will I will ascend to heaven I will be like the most high I will overthrow the throne of God and that's how he brought about his fall the assertion of our will will wreck and ruin our lives. The assertion of our own will will we'll keep us from the best blessings of God. When we come to the place that we can deny our own will, then we are on the path to victory. When we come to the place where we can pray as Jesus prayed, not what I will, but Father, what you will, then we are in the place that God can do something wonderful and great in our lives. So we have to resign our own will and renounce that. This is a prayer right here. You know, we're wanting to he always hear about prayers of prayer that changes things. Prayer that moves mountains. Prayer, faith that heals the sick, save the sick. Prayer does all those things. But here's a prayer people don't like to hear about. This is called the prayer of consecration and dedication. Oh, come on, somebody. It's consecrating your life and will to the will of the Heavenly Father. And I'm going to tell you, it's something you need to do every single day. In the model prayer, the Lord's Prayer, Jesus taught us there in that prayer to pray daily. Your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Not my will, but your will. And Jesus is setting the example for that here in this prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. That's the path that leads to victory. Not what I will, but what you will. Now let me tell you something. God has a plan 
and a purpose for every one of your lives today. Do you believe that? Huh? God has got a plan for you. He's got a purpose for you. You're not here today by accident. God's got a plan for you being in this service this morning, in this service today. He has a perfect will for your life. The Bible talks about the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I don't want just the acceptable will of God. I want that perfect will, and we have to seek God for that perfect will in our life. Are you still with me? He's got a perfect will for your life. And I'm going to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. You do not want to miss out on the will of God for your life. And some people go through their whole life, even if they get saved, and they just miss out on the will of God for their life. I don't want that. God's will for you is a good will. His plan for you is a good plan. He said in what Jeremiah 29 11, I know the plans I have for you, plans to do you good, not, not to harm you, not to do you evil, but to give you a, a future and to give you a hope. God wants you to have a good future. He's got good things planned for you. Come on, somebody. Do you believe that? I mean, we get the idea that, that getting in the will of God is like taking a dose of castor oil. Like, well, you know, we'll just, it's really bad, but it's just something we have to do. Well, if we have to follow the will of God, I guess we will. We'll just hold our nose and endure it. Glory to God. (laughs) But the will of God is His perfect plan for your life. His perfect plan for my life. Amen? He's planning the greatest life that you could ever imagine. He's just getting you, just getting me and you to surrender our will to Him. And that's what Jesus was doing here. Surrendering the will, His will, to the will of the Father. Jeremiah one nineteen says, If you be willing and obedient, you'll eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, trouble's coming. A lot of times we make our own problems. Every time, yeah, you're right. By getting out of the will of God and asserting our own will over the will of the Father. But that's the key, ladies and gentlemen. We want secrets to success. We want keys and secrets to victory. But this is the key to to victory. This is the key to success and victory. And it's Andrew Murray wrote a book about it many, 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 many years ago. And it's called Absolute Surrender. Brother Ricky, I'd rather not hear about absolute surrender. I'd rather hear about breakthroughs and, and, and victories and all that. This is what I'm telling you. This is where your breakthrough and your victory is going to come when you totally and absolutely surrender your will to the will of the Heavenly Father. Glory to God. Amen? Man, I wished I had time. You know, when, we, when we, we were planning on building a church, building this church, when we were down the street here, 
um, you know, and, and, and we, we were seeking the will of God, and nothing was working out, and we bought some property, and that didn't work out, and people left the church, and everything seemed to go wrong. And you know what I just did one day? I just got on my face, and I said, Lord, if we have to stay here in this storage building till the trump sounds, I'm going to stay here. All I want you to know is I'm going to do your will. I want your will. I'm conformed to your will. Just, just lead me in the way you want me to go. And when I, got, when I got in that place and just gave it to Jesus, you know what? It wasn't long. The door started opening and things started happening. God started blessing. He's got to bring us to that place where we resign our will to him and to his will for our life and when we do he can do something for us how many of us pray that way every day Lord not my will today but your will be done show me your will show me your ways show me what you want me to do lead me in every way brother Wade was talking to me here a while back about he will ask the Lord lead me to somebody that needs Jesus amen and sure enough there'll be somebody that he can witness to he's yielding to the will of the Lord in his life and that's what God's asking from everyone one of us today he won't force it he wants you to surrender it to him I guess we better have altar call Jesus prayed it through got the victory there worship team make your way back he got the victory there at Gethsemane. See, I said this earlier, the victory of Calvary was won in Gethsemane. Now listen to what I'm going to say. The victory for your salvation was won in Gethsemane and it was paid for at Calvary. Does that make any sense to you? Because if Jesus wouldn't have won that victory in prayer in Gethsemane, there would have been no Calvary. I really believe this. I really believe, and there's some theologians teach this, and I really feel this is true because Jesus said that his soul was exceeding heavy even unto death. I believe Satan was trying to kill him in the garden to keep him from going to the cross because Satan knew once he got to the cross that was the seed of the woman that would crush his head. Satan had tried to kill that righteous seed ever since Abel. Satan had tried through the slaughter of the innocents. That's why Jesus, Joseph, had to take Mary and Jesus to Egypt. He had tried all through the life of Jesus various times to kill the Lord. And I believe he was trying to stop him from going to the cross. But thank God Jesus prayed it through and won the victory and said to his disciples, Arise, boys, let us be going. The betrayers are here. And he faced the soldiers. And he faced Pilate. And he faced the Sanhedrin. And he faced the cross and he won our salvation cause he prayed it through in Gethsemane well stand with me everybody stand to your feet woo hallelujah woo glory to God man I'm telling you 
The battle is already won. When you as a believer can come to that summit of prayer, come to that place where you'll say, Father, it's no longer what I want, but it's what you will to be done for my life. When you take your will and fit it into God's will, it's like a combination lock. When you're turning that combination, turning that tumbler, everything starts falling into place. Come on, somebody. When you're surrendered to the will of God, hallelujah, everything in that combination starts falling into place. And the the lock opens and the shackles fall and the chains are broken and the victory comes. Hallelujah. Come on. Because you've prayed it through in Gethsemane and you've won the victory in Gethsemane and victory is yours through the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen.